Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Well, here we are, the final week of Hebrews. Welcome to all our fly guys and cool girls listening. It's uh, MC Mitch and MC Muzz here on the airwaves, chatting, breaking down Hebrews 13 today. Mitch is just cringing. I am cringing. How you doing, bro? Yeah, I'm I'm well. Didn't get a great night's sleep, but um, that's all part of being a parent of two small children. Yeah. You're actually looking well rested today. Oh, am I? Oh, yeah, I yeah, terrible. yeah. Maybe it's the coffee. <laughs> the coffee. The magic elixir. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I um yeah I, I hate to break it to you, mate, but I don't think your sleep's going to be getting much better. Uh, it's, just tra- it's just getting training <laughs> when it. the baby comes in the next week That's or it. so. That's it. You um yeah, from what you've said, we're like pretty heavily involved in the in the feeding nighttime feedings, definitely uh, for Asher. Asher, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so what, I, d- I did sympathy wake ups when Hazel was born. Yeah, and then sort of stopped that after yeah. a while. Yeah, the sympathy wake ups are a tricky one because yeah. they kind of like they do fade out at some point. Yes. It's just like okay, when 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 are we just one of us waking up at the uh, moment? But Rachel's yeah. like, Mitch, just go back to bed. I don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> I felt I was I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Well, bro, we are at the end of Hebrews. It's been quite a journey. It's yeah. kind of crazy how quickly it's flown. It has, yeah, nine weeks. Yeah. Blink of an eye, but it has been, uh, yeah, an absolute treat to be going through Mm. this. And I think that um, chapter 13, as you kind of said, is really interesting because there's a lot in there. It's sort of like the the, the classic wrap up of everything. Um, But I think that, yeah, you did an awesome job at picking out some really beautiful images that the writer is working on. For you, just like looking back before we jump into chapter 13, what's the, um, the big thing that have that you've learnt throughout uh, mm. Hebrews that you're like, oh, that's that's been something that's changed or yeah, it's really going to stick with me. I think obvi- the obvious one is steadfast and anchor, mm-hmm. but probably outside of the the core sort of image for our church for 2023. Probably for me personally, just how well the letter flows. Yeah, as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I started preparing for this back in November. Mm. I read a book called The Theology of the Book of Hebrews mm-hmm. and. Yeah, just seeing how, like, he laid his book out um, to help just understand the argument. And then when mm. I read through the whole book, the whole letter as a whole, I was like, wow, this really interconnects so yeah. well. I think that's the problem when you do, like, a one-chapter read or you look at a few passages really in-depth, you sort of miss the forest from the trees. And just mm. recognising that, yeah, there was that pattern that was almost like a... Jesus, like Jesus being greater, almost mm. Old Testament theology, a bit of a warning, comfort, and he just kind of did that throughout. Yeah. And these themes would pick up time and time again. You just see this pattern flowing through. And at chapter 13, you could pick a whole bunch of different, I guess, areas. He talked yeah. about greed, talked about sexual purity, but I felt that, um, yeah, 8 to um, 16, they summarized the book as a whole, and mm. I was convinced by one guy. I read and just he's he reckoned that this was sort of the yeah this was the kind of the crunch of the argument of the book mm. was this your whole going back to Judaism and just like this summary of it and I felt like just tied in really well with some of the themes about obviously Hebrews 11 mm. about the heavenly city that Abraham was searching for this yeah. idea of well 
we have a new identity in Jesus, not in the past. And so it just tied in things together really well. And mm. also, too, just a really great image going outside the camp. Yeah. The disgrace he bore. It's, yeah. Yeah, very powerful. Yeah. I, I think there's, um, like, Jesus is described several times in the book as being a forerunner or pioneer. Mm. That, uh, Archegos, the like the the one, the pathfinder, one mm. like uh, like a Hercules, like Hercules yeah. did that. He's the one who's made the way. And if you look, if someone's gone ahead, it's like oh, it's it's not as hard. There's um mm. in in the running world, the they believe that no human could run the, the mile in under four minutes. Mm. And then someone did it, and then suddenly lots of people did it. It was almost like there was this mental like oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And mm. in a sense, that's what Jesus. I love that. Too. It's like, well, if Jesus did this, yeah, and he's our great high priest, mm. you can too. And so just finishes off well. It's like, well, you know, being a Christian, that may me may result in you being outside the camp, but yeah. that's okay. Jesus did the same too. And look where he is now. Yeah. And look what you're going to get mm. at the end. Yeah. I think Hebrews is definitely a really interesting letter in the way that um, I think for a long time, the, the one of the big things that I've been challenged with in my faith as I've sort of, um, yeah, become more well-rounded in my knowledge of the overall biblical story is just how much we are inheriting Israel's mm. journey um, as God intended. Uh, but I think that it's really easy, um, one, to undersell how important that story of the Old Testament is um, and the journey that we are, you know, joining in. You know, we kind of, as Gentiles, um, weren't there from the very beginning. Our, our forefathers weren't, although we are now adopted into that family of Israel. But I think that um, for a really long time, I was often kind of a bit dismissive of how important that Jewish heritage and history was. And I'd kind of, you know my eyes would glaze over a little mm. bit when people started talking about, you know, like the book of Leviticus or, you know, whatever it is, even some like, you know, back reference. It's like, okay, cool. We get it. Like Jesus's birth, like fulfilled all these, yeah. you know, prophecies. Um, but the depth and richness when you get into it, I know mm. it's something that N.T. Wright talks about, about the most compelling way to tell the story of Christ is to tell the Jewish story mm. of Christ. Um, and I think it's like something which is really cool to be looking at in Hebrews when it's really not only presented in such a clear way, but in such a poetic way mm. at times. Even that final image of us now eating from a, the altar of the crucifix. Mm. I'm like, whoa, that is a, a potent image. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's not to be confused as sort of like the Eucharist. No. A lot of medieval sort of scholars thought, oh, that's justification for the Eucharist yeah, yeah. or the Mass. But that idea, it's like most commentators said, it's the cross that we actually eat from. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a strange image. And it's a bit of a tangent, but when Jesus is pierced on the side, like a number of people have noticed that in, in Greek, at least, the, mm. the same word. I think it's meson. Um, side is used of Adam's side being taken. It's mm. like this idea of Jesus forming a new bride. There's this sort mm. of like yeah, image of interconnectedness. And then Jesus himself said that I am the bread of life, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And mm. so even on the cross, there's this, yeah, marriage, food, imagery kind of like tied in yeah. there as Jesus' yeah. body is broken, blood yeah. is shed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, really cool. Well, we definitely um, have a lot to unpack today mm. just in, in Chapter 13 alone. Um, I know one concept that you were really excited to go a little bit deeper on was this idea of home mm. and what maybe the understanding for Jewish readers was of mm. home, what the understanding for Christians should be of home, um, mm. and then just to further mix another sort of sock in the laundry, what the maybe even secular Australian understanding mm. of home is. There's a lot to unpack there, but let's start with what the Jewish understanding of home would have been to these original readers. Mm. So Jerusalem was the front and centre of the Jewish mind. Um, so I've just put up a, from Isaiah chapter 2. It says, it's quite a famous prophecy, Isaiah 2.2. In the last day, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And so that's talking about Mount Zion, mm. Jerusalem, the temple there. And this idea is that the holy city will be the place for all the nations to come to. Mm. And so the Jewish identity was wrapped up in there. The, the temple was... Like the Jews believed that God was everywhere, mm. but his presence, Yahweh's presence, is manifested in mm. this temple, in this site mm. on Jerusalem. And mm. according to Chronicles, where um, Solomon built the temple, was the same place that Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac. So mm. a lot of deep significance mm. in there. It's also the same site where... Um, when David committed the sin with the census mm. and the angels about to wipe out Jerusalem, mm. he offers a sacrifice. So this mountain has deep significance in the Old Testament mm. narrative. Mm. And so here it is here, Isaiah is presenting it as a place where all the nations will stream to as a fulfillment of a promise to mm. Abraham of his descendants being a blessing to all nations. So, yeah, yeah Jerusalem, every year the Jews would make a pilgrimage there. It was a big deal. Like Going there was part of... Yeah, being attached to the story of Israel, mm. remembering the Passover, mm. reenacting that journey of escaping Egypt and mm. just being part of the family. And so for these guys, the, look, we don't know where the audience was originally, but it's probably a city, like sure. some sort of Roman city outside of Jerusalem. Sure, a metropolis yeah, sort of, yeah. So somewhere in Asia Minor or around there and... Yeah, what, what Jews would do every Sabbath is in synagogue, they'd have a, a meal like a Thanksgiving meal. And that was there. There'd be prayers and songs and probably psalms read. And that was a way to strengthen yourself and feel this part of this identity. It's like, even though I'm not in Jerusalem, even though I'm not part of mm. like being in Israel, I still feel connected to mm. my people through this meal. Mm. And that's what Hebrews 13 is saying. Ah, look, we're not strengthened by you know, these meals. Strange teaching, which I, I don't really know. We don't really know what that strange teaching is. Mm. But it's obviously tied in something with Judaism, and he's yeah. And so, so for these people, that that's a core part of their identity: eating these meals, participating yeah. in synagogue, going to Jerusalem, and so that yeah. that to be Jewish is tied in with that. So that's mm. sort of some of the background for mm. what Jerusalem means to be a Jew. Yeah, and it creates a really interesting idea when so much of their home is something which has been ancestral. Um, very significant in a historical sense, mm. very significant in a spiritual sense. I mean, the the irony in all of that is um, probably more similar in some ways to the way Indigenous Australians interact with the land mm. <laughs> than the way that sort of, um, you know, pe people who aren't First Nations people mm. in Australia engage with the land. The idea that they have these sacred sites and these places that are significant from a spiritual and historical well, point of view. It's really interesting i actually see a lot of like 
correl- not correlation, but there's a lot of like, connection between indigenous um, people and the Israelites mm. with their value for land. Mm. And even how God's view of the land is that even like a jubilee year or sabbath like rest it wasn't just for the people it's also for the land and the yeah. animals there's this yeah, yeah, yeah. care for yeah. the land there's a deep connection and yeah it's just interesting that we don't really value land the way that yeah well i was actually reading an article about um how first nations people see the seasons and they yeah Indigenous people see six seasons in a year yeah. and they're just saying how the flow this guy's saying the flow has mm. been disrupted seasons yeah. aren't doing what they're supposed to do and it's just interesting yeah. they have such a deep connect connectivity to land yeah which makes sense we are adam made from the adama we are ground people yeah earth yeah, man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> ba, 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 da. earth man <laughs> literally we are yeah man. but it is kind of an interesting thing when yeah looking more for signs from nature whether mm. it's you know the fruit flies or mm. that certain trees are blossoming um yeah this this deep connection with the land and seeing themselves as part of it rather than people who live in it (laughs) it is a very sort of yeah edenic vision well if you ever decide to read the back half of joshua after Mm. all the killing and the violence Mm. and it's just chapter after chapter of just land division and we're like yeah for them that's a slice of heaven essentially slice of eden yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. why it's really important you didn't move boundary stones because yeah. it's like, hey, you're moving ancestral lands. This is what I was given. Mm. This is what Moses and Joshua gave my ancestors. Yeah, and yeah. You can't touch that. You can't yeah. move that. And yeah. your, land, your land shouldn't have been bought and sold in Israel. That was, yeah. you were given it. Here's your, here's your plot. This is where your family lives mm. for mm. the rest of their days. Mm. That, was, that was the attention. Yeah, so interesting. Mm. So in all of that, how does that then inform as Christians? Do we have something that we need to take from that that can inform the way that we live life, community, spirituality? What does home look like for us then as modern day Christians? Well, as a child, I'll sort of take a step back. As a child, I remember seeing a song, which probably was made in the 60s, -hmm. around the NASA space race, Mm. I reckon. It was like (laughs) somewhere in outer space, God has prepared for prepared a place mm. i know i'm going there somewhere one day the countdown's getting closer every day 10 9 8 6 and 7 so that was my kind of vision was that we would go the place wasn't our, our mm. destination wasn't this earth this earth was broken and terrible and god was gonna rescue us to go to heaven and a lot of christians talk about i'm going home to be with the lord and i was like yes but no <laughs> that's not quite accurate the for us, the hope, which which Revelation paints quite beautifully. And if you kind of read Revelation with Hebrews, you can see how it connects mm. quite well. This the idea, which is what Genesis 1 and 2 talks about, is God bringing heaven to earth, essentially. Mm. Mm. Um, and God will do that in the form, not just a garden, this will be a garden city, which mm. Isaiah 2, which you mentioned earlier, speaks about um, this, this city where yeah, God and people are dwelling together. And mm. so for us... Um, the land of Israel isn't sort of as significant for us because we've got a new Jerusalem mm. coming. So the old one, Jesus essentially placed a curse mm. on the old Jerusalem. Mm. Um, in the Gospels, as you might, if you get towards the end of just before Jesus' crucifixion, the Mount of Olives, it's, it's called the Olivet Discourse in some of your Bibles. Yeah. So, and Jesus talks about these. Um, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by you know armies, mm. get out and flee, and basically placing a curse on the old city saying well mm. yeah it's kind of had its time it's done mm. now there's a new city to come and mm. the new temple 
Mm. He says in John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And everyone's like, what? Yeah. It took 47 years to build this temple. What are yeah. you going on about? Mm. And, and the disciples realized after he said, oh, he's talking about his body being the temple. Mm. And so there's a, a shift away from, the, and this is the tension of the kingdom of God. It's sort of now, but not yet. And mm. that, yeah, for us, it's like, well, current Jerusalem in 2023, it's like, yeah, look, you know, I know there's some people from church that are going there. Yeah. Like either they're now or about to go. Look, yeah, that's cool. Go to the sites where Jesus was. But it's not not like the Crusades where you need to defend the, the mother city because, well, we've got a new mother city essentially coming along. And so mm. that's the that's the hope for Christians is the mm. restored mm. heavens and the earth. And, uh, and that's really what chapter 13 is reminding these Jewish Christians is that you know we're going to go outside the camp um, again like there's these are it's probably a very good chance these are urban dwellers so it's mm. not like they're living in some sort of monastic community hidden sure. away from the yeah, world yeah, yeah, yeah. There, um, living amongst like a metro you know metropolitan city mm. like setting with Jews and Gentiles and yeah. uh, you know like a, like a, a modern multicultural cities today yeah but it's more like a a spiritual pilgrimage idea is like, hey, you're gonna actually have to suffer. Mm. Say, just like the Jew, just like how the animals were treated outside the camp, mm. in a sense that we have to take on the attitude of Jesus being outside of the camp. Yeah, but that's good because if you're outside here, you're actually gonna inherit something even greater, which is the eternal city. And yeah. so, for us as Christians, is that yeah, it is that tension. Like this earth is good. Mm. God called it very good. Mm. Tob meod, very good. Like mm. it's not just good, very good. Mm. And the and creation reveals God's character, but also too we know that there's something greater mm. to come. And that's mm. and I don't know how that's going to look. We've, we've spoken about the restored heavens and the earth, but yeah. that's that's where our focus should be. So when we die, our spirit, like Jesus, goes to paradise, as he told the criminal on the cross. But our end goal is to be like Jesus, to be resurrected, mm. to be resurrected body. So mm. and that's. And to me, I find focusing on the idea of a city being quite helpful. Mm. It gives me something concrete. I'm like, yeah, I can work with that. I yeah. know what a city looks like. I know what kind of a garden looks like. I can work with these images. I know. Yeah. It creates an interesting idea that I think for so many people, the vision is that the end and final goal <laughs> is mm. in heaven, for my spirit to be in heaven. Mm. But really the end and final goal is for spirit and body to once again meet yeah. perfectly in the re-meeting of heaven mm. and earth. Um, it's it's something that, yeah, we don't really talk about a lot. It's something that I think a lot of people, uh, yeah, just haven't been taught, don't fully understand, are kind of taking lots of sort of small bits of mm. teachings from different places. Um, but the reality is that it is a very different image that we're given, mm. that, yes, there is our spirit being present in heaven after mm. we die um, and before Jesus returns, but that return being heaven and earth coming together, not just um, a spiritual realm meeting a physical realm, but our spirit meeting our physical bodies. Mm. It's quite a kind of this almost mirror mm. imaging of each yeah. other in that. Yeah. It, is a, it is a really interesting thing in that I think that as much as we can sort of maybe 
you know, lean back and cross our arms and roll our eyes and scoff at, you know, these Israelites thinking that this temple was a special place that, you know, had to be the place to make a pilgrimage to, had to be the place to, you know, really come into a close communion with God. What sort of are some holy places that you think we have today? It's I know something that you want to talk about. Yeah, um, so probably for, and this is all, this is a bit of, broad stroke sort of issues but yeah. for some people like Christianity can be tied in with the type of politics you have the denomination that you belong to mm-hmm. I think there's some people get tied in a bit of nationalism yeah sure so you know to be uh, let's think uh, only talking about this podcast I find it interesting it's always God bless America yeah does God not bless the other countries like it's mm. interesting like it, it's mm. quite America's an easy one to make fun of yeah, this yeah, because yeah. Their, their Christianity is often tied in with nationalism. Yes. And, yeah, particularly a lot of... Well, I remember a quote that Ted Cruz, he's a senator from Texas, yep. and he said, if you're an evangelical, it's your duty to vote Republican. Mm. Like, mm. oh, okay, I didn't realise that, mm. <laughs> that we had to do that, that mm. a political party was a yeah. Christian's allegiance. Mm. Um, yeah, allegiance is not to Caesar, but... Jesus Mm. and so yeah I I say that a little bit with Trump it's interesting how a lot of Christians have seen him as like a messiah Mm. sort of figure Mm. come to and so look that's a pretty obvious one but look you know there's it's interesting I guess um, some Christians the type of church building they're in that Where and like there comes almost like a holy yeah. space them oh god like we have to have church this way stained glass or bust yeah yeah um, and so I think that's just some examples even um I suppose even in a sense too this is what this is what's challenging about bearing the shame of Jesus is that yeah more so in the west but we're probably pretty comfortable there hasn't been much cost mm-hmm. to following Jesus yeah and so yeah, yeah. do you remember when um oh, I forgot her name now that's really bad jo- oh, Jordan from Open Doors came yeah and she shared the story about the Egyptians who the Christians are basically just pick up rubbish, and mm. they've been doing that for generations because yeah. of their. That's kind of what it is to follow Jesus. That's like bearing the shame mm. of Jesus. I'm gonna like, for making this decision, I've basically for generations to come, my family will be at the bottom of the bottom of the social pile. Yeah, but they're able to look beyond the here and now and actually embody what Hebrews is talking about. Yeah, and so there's been. Probably I see very little cost to following Jesus. It's mm. now, we didn't even say persecution, but now I think we're finally starting to experience here in the West. Probably what our brothers and sisters across the globe have experienced for many years is yeah. that, yeah, there's a lot more, I guess, pressure now. And you look here, you hear about every now and then Christians being fired for standing up for their beliefs. And mm. look, that's really what Hebrews is telling us. Well, actually... Yeah, bear that cross. Go out there, like join mm. Jesus. Like, mm. it's, and yeah, it's not saying it's easy, mm. but that's what we've been called to. That's what life outside the camp mm. looks like. Um, mm. Of late, I think <laughs> I've been following this guy on YouTube. I don't know. I just he's a wilderness survivor mm-hmm. in Canada, and he just he goes on like these little like he does like challenges for himself. I'm gonna survive a night in minus 30 degree weather with mm. no tent mm. and he shows you how he builds his tent and gets his fire and he's got no blankets and, mm. and just watching him that's fascinating because this is out in the Canadian wilderness 
but life was brutal. Mm. Pre-modern civilization. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so the camp <clears> is <throat> just so significant. This guy, he's yeah. got, he's storing up his firewood. Like literally, the yeah. only tools he brings is his axe and his knife, and he's trying to catch wild animals to mm. feed to feed himself. And like, yeah, you wander outside that camp because that's the question he gets asked. Like, do you encounter bears? He's like, well, they're out there, but I don't see them because the fire kind of. But yeah, he wandered too far away from that camp. He's dead, like minus thirty degrees, mm. <laughs> like. He's not by that fire mm. building his shelter. He's dead. And that's, mm. yeah, it's a real vulnerability to yeah. be outside the camp. But I guess that's what we've been called to do, like Jesus, to trust Jesus. To, to quote Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, yeah. I promise of making disciples. Mm. Mm. There's, I think, um, a really beautiful analogy to be drawn from that of what it looks to live outside the camp, that there's, you know, a... Uh, a real vulnerability um, that you're putting yourself in. Um, and I think that, yeah, it can be quite clear as we've spoken about what some of those ideas can look like to culturally live outside the camp. Um, maybe the, in some ways, trickier thing to diagnose mm. is um, what by your assertion would it look like living still inside the camp? What are examples? Mm. You obviously on Sunday use that really cool illustration <laughs> of the hoop and the balls mm. and this idea that ultimately um, when we're living inside the camp kind of closer, mm. it's going to make our lives easier. <laughs> mm. um, but it's not necessarily what we're called to do. We are called to sort of be shooting those balls from far away, mm. to be living outside the camp. So in a more practical sense, what are some yeah. thoughts that you have about what it looks like to live inside mm. the camp? Yeah, well, the obvious one is ob- making a decision that pleases Jesus more than humans. Is outside the camp. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. And yeah. so, I don't know, we were talking before we recorded, I just want to go with the t- stereotypical uh, same-sex marriage stuff, which, is, anyway, that's been spoken about to death. But I think every day we have to make a decision, and particularly if you're in a secular workplace, like, you might have to make a decision or not perform an action which will ostracise you. Mm. Um, I think I actually think of a, a great example. There was a teacher I knew at the school I was at previously who used to be in, uh, in the mines. Mm. And she said she was like the only female there. And most of the nights that they organised involved strippers and drugs and alcohol. It was pretty like standard on the mines. Sure. Behaviour. Yeah. And being a Christian in a like that, that would be very tough. Yeah. That's what life outside the camp looks like. It's like everyone's going this way and you're going, nah, I'm not going to mm. do that. And so, yeah, that, it, like life inside the camp is just sort of following people along. Um, uh, I remember reading, I can't remember what it was, but I remember reading about a Christian guy in the workplace who went to staff drinks on a Friday night. He didn't drink himself, but he went there kind of just to, you know, connect with his co-workers. And he said, ironically, one of the guys that was the biggest drinker that got drunk every night actually turned out to be a Christian. Mm. And when he found out, he was just horrified. He goes, like, why do you do this? He goes, well, originally I just wanted to fit in with the guys and then it just became this habit and suddenly became a full-on alcoholic. So what started is like, oh, I just want to kind of fit in and not seen as like an outsider. Mm. And so, look, that's a fairly extreme example. Mm. But they're just, I guess, and look, you think about your own context. We all have our own context mm. where we, yeah, tempted whether or not will we just sort of follow the crowd or will we go outside the camp? 
Mm. So, yeah, there's just some like some examples there of what that would look like. Mm. What can you think of, Murray? Um, I think it's something that I've mentioned off air before, but um, we, um, Em and I just got Binge, which is a streaming right. platform. And there were all these shows that we got recommended. Um, and um, two of the shows were a show called White Lotus, which is quite a funny show. I do recommend. It's about a um, resort, like a five-star resort, where essentially all these crazy rich white people go to stay. It's like fictional, scripted. And essentially, it's just like poking fun at the ridiculousness of incredibly affluent culture you know as as a and it kind of follows both the people who work there and the people who stay there uh at the same time as another show that we were recommended called euphoria that's essentially a like american teen drama you know set in you know all the kind of classic things that you would think about as a a teen drama um you know and so we kind of like tried both these shows out it was really interesting in White Lotus. There's uh, sort of the one of the main characters. He's actually um, a yeah recovering drug addict, um, and through a series of you know events, he ends up being in possession of this bag of drugs and ends up kind of going downhill. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it in case anyone wants to watch it. But essentially, what I would say is it doesn't glamorize drugs. Mm. It really shows it as something which can be really. Um, yeah damaging and detrimental and really you know result in the downfall of, of someone um you know in the same breath um this other show euphoria was about a bunch of teenagers taking drugs and just really glamorized it em and i watched a whole season of white lotus we watched half an episode of euphoria and like actually i'm not really liking this mm. um what am I saying in all of this? Well, I think both of these shows like explore the theme of drugs, for instance. Um, but from my assertion, like one seemed to really glamorize it and the other one seemed to really portray it in a way that showed that, yeah, it can be a really damaging mm. thing to engage in. Um, so had that conversation um, with some of my family members, some of my siblings who aren't Christian. Um, and I think they were really struck by that observation that I sort of made that, yeah, like I'm not against a show that explores the theme of drugs. I think that's out the very real world we live in. Um, but yeah, how is it then presented through which lens, mm. through a lens of glamorizing or through a lens of, you know, I mean, the white Lotus is a comedy, like it mm. is satirical and ridiculous. And you kind of, in some ways laughing at this guy's awful downfall, like it's probably not the most charitable thing in that way. But I think that it, um, when those kind of conversations come up of talking about, Hey, I actually really liked the way this show presented, you know, the way that drugs mm. can be damaging and really, thought that that was actually in the other show quite damaging uh, especially when young kids are watching it it's quite interesting um, I would say that my siblings as you know many secular people in their 20s have like you know sort of engaged in that party lifestyle at one stage or another probably a lot more open-minded or what's the word a lot more uh experimental in the you know things that they've done and parties and stuff and I think that they recognize that yeah actually that's it's actually an articulate point. Um, I think it's this interesting thing that you mentioned before, and often being outside the camp doesn't mean being outside of culture, mm. but it means being culturally different. 
And I think that that's the idea. We're not called to be these, you know, sort of exile Essenes living out in the wilderness, not interacting with culture in any way. I think that it can be still really powerful to engage in, intentionally in some ways with the culture, you know. I mean, both Euphoria and White Lotus like have won a bunch of Emmys and stuff. They're very popular shows that are in the cultural zeitgeist at the moment. So being able to use those sort of things as conversation starters. Um, but I think in that as well, uh, if, I, if M and I <clears throat> had been completely terrified of even, you know, checking out euphoria and giving it a chance it wouldn't have allowed us to have those conversations Mm. to be culturally outside the camp and i think we can um sometimes be so terrified of the world that we don't engage with it even in a healthy way and with a critical lens and i look at jesus like you know going across the sea into a tomb to like cast out demons Mm. from a guy into a bunch of pigs i'm like well dude like there's like dead bodies, there's pigs, there's like even crossing the ocean, which is death. Like there's so many things which a Jewish reader would have been like, uh-uh, like don't do it. Um, but Jesus gets his hands dirty. He just doesn't allow that to affect his spirit uh, and heart. Jesus, friends of sinners and tax collectors. Right, yeah, friends with drunks, you know. Mm. And you're like, well, I think that the call is for us to still be engaging with the people and with the culture just in a critical way and not doing it in a way that we then become part of that culture. Yeah. I've, I've probably said it, mentioned it before, but Landon Gilkey, I keep spooking you. You have to read his book, man. It's a, it's a great <laughs> book, The Shantan Compound. And he just said this one chapter, he talks about the Catholic priests who were happy to smoke and drink with the pagans and didn't see that as defiling themselves, mm. where the Protestants refused to, mm. wouldn't even... In, wouldn't even talk to them mm. wouldn't talk to the pagans and just his reflection was like he says something along the lines of it's ironic that the protestant movement which fought against the works of the catholic church has created its own set of works mm-hmm. yeah you know, that, uh, I, I just, just resonated it's like wow we yeah just how we view yeah defilement and the world and yeah, and, and the, in many ways, like I see this call to living outside the camp, it is more of a spiritual mindset rather than a like geographical mindset. Mm. Um, yeah. A bit like the pilgrimage. Mm. Like we're called to be on a spiritual pilgrimage. And I'm not, like I, unless you're like a grey nomad, how can like the average Aussie mm. who's got you know, a job, mortgage, kids, mm. go, oh, we're just going to live on pilgrimage, guys. We're just going to travel around like... People yeah. who do that, they're like anomaly. They're the ones that, you know, they're the minority, not the majority. So yeah. we can't actually do that in our day and age. For the, but we can have that mindset of, well, I'm on a pilgrimage. In terms mm-hmm. of, even though I, you know, go to my home at night and go to my job in the morning. Yeah. Still be living that pilgrim yeah. mindset. And yeah. In some ways, it's actually more challenging. Um, so like, it's actually easier to escape. That's what I found interesting about the monks who just fled to the wilderness for 50 years. I'm like, mm. Mm, it's actually pretty easy. Like, mm. like, if you and I just go, oh, let's just start our own little Christian community and <laughs> we get up at two o'clock in the morning and pray. Yeah. Yeah, we seem pretty spiritual that yeah. actually living in real life is yeah. really difficult in the mess and the muddiness of yeah. dealing with real life. That's a lot more challenging. Yeah, it's about having a monastic mindset in a sort of, you know, real real world context i think um 
Yeah, and it is really fascinating. It is it is that balancing act, right? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we see Jesus withdrawing to quiet places. Mm. We see Jesus being very countercultural. Mm. Um, but yeah, we also see him, you know, as we've spoken about before, his first miracle in the book of John is, you know, turning water into wine at a wedding. Mm. You know, I sometimes think as Christians, when we are at a wedding, and I kind of use this metaphor very literally, <laughs> I'm like, are we the Pharisees and the Sadducees or are we Jesus? Mm. Are we bringing joy and celebration and life and new wine mm. into so a wedding? I meant. Like wine was yeah. uh, an eschatological hope for the prophets. Like yeah. They must talk about wine flowing down the hills. Yeah. Like it was like a sign of joy and celebration. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, so often we think that living outside the camp means being a party pooper. Mm. Like, well, I don't see Jesus giving us that model. I see him being the life of the party. Now, obviously, the life of the party for Jesus is going to look very different yeah. to what, you know, the show Euphoria yeah. might <laughs> show you being the life of the party. But I think that's the point. It's mm. about... Um, giving providing a better option <laughs> yeah, well, do you they, know what i mean well it's interesting like they accuse jesus of being a glutton mm. yeah i remember reading somewhere jesus ate and drank his way through the kingdom mm. uh, and like and when you kind of like have those those sort of glass on your stuff you're like, oh, there's a lot of like a lot of his teachings revolved around some sort of meal mm. some sort of house uh, even just being in a house would have involved some sort of meal yeah like just being like hospitality in jewish culture yeah involved food mm. drink. so mm. even when he's just like in a house you're like well there would have been food around so well even this final chapter of hebrews right it's <laughs> like encouraging us to show hospitality mm-hmm. you know yeah, to yeah, all yeah. people because um, it might be entertaining angels exactly exactly which is a weird sort of <laughs> <laughs> side note <laughs> i thought that's another episode of banter right there but. i didn't go to that rabbit hole i'm assuming he's thinking about abraham feeding the mm. yeah, anyway yeah yeah <laughs> we won't go down that for, an, for another week. Um, we are wrapping up mm. our Hebrew series. Any any final thoughts for our church? I think mm. that is um, obviously been a lot that's unpacked. Yeah. What would you hope that um, the average sort of person in the congregation is walking away from this yeah. series um, having been changed? Yeah, sort of one takeaway is to reflect on what things you see are greater than Jesus. Mm. And to be challenged by that and to get rid of that. Um, yeah, scripture wasn't written for us. Like, we're not the original audience, mm. but it has meaning application in our lives. Yeah. One of the coolest things I should have said for that I learned was today in the present tense, if you hear his voice, or as the Holy Spirit says, it's present tense. So mm. even though Psalm 95, as Joel the Hebrews quotes from, was written to that Generation, he says, like actually, it's today. It still yeah. applies to us today yeah. in our context, and that's still ongoing. That. Yeah, and so scripture still has relevance. So yeah, yeah, while we may not be thinking about Moses being greater or Torah or angels or whatever, yeah. we have our own equivalents. Yeah, and that would be the biggest takeaway: is to reflect upon what things you believe are greater than Jesus. Yeah, and to throw them away. Yeah, and to yeah live outside the camp to run the race of endurance and. When we do stuff up, because we just all stuff up, we're human. To yeah. Remember, we have a great high priest who's able to mm. empathize with our weaknesses. And he mm. was tempted in every way as we are without sin. And that's the great hope, is mm. we have forgiveness. Because, um, yeah, those warning passages, they're pretty yeah, terrifying. Mm. But, yeah, that's what happens for those who reject Jesus. But for those who don't, there's a great reward for that. Mm. 
Yeah, so that's be they'd be the biggest takeaway. People can reflect upon what things they believe are greater than Jesus. Mm. To be wrestling with getting rid of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and yeah. tomorrow. The yeah. things that he's greater than might change, but he's always greater yeah, than. I like that. <laughs> I love it. Well, Mitch, thanks uh, Yeah, for taking us through this series, and thanks for the chat. We're going to be taking a bit of a break over yeah. Easter um, and a couple of weeks after as we do some preacher's picks, but we'll be yeah. getting into a new series uh, later in uh, May. May. April, May. May, yeah. In May, we'll so, be getting into a new yeah, series in May. Did you want to give a little teaser on what be, that's going to look like? Tell me at May sort of mission month focus and there'll be so the first three weeks I've already kind of figured out the last week I'm a little unsure yet but it's going to be so Matthew 28 the Great Commission Mm. and unpacking that it's a very famous passage Mm. but unpacking that in more in the broader context of Matthew Mm. how we can live that out Jesus called um, calling the disciples to ministry and breathing upon them in John chapter 20 Mm. Uh, which is yeah really charged and so spirit yeah. kind of always spirit like lead ministry yeah um, I love it day of Pentecost mm. from Acts 2 mm. which is another great one mm. and then probably the last one uh, looking at maybe something around Ephesians looking at what does it mean to be God's people and welcoming mm. people in so mm. If just a fun little series in May for May Mission Month haven't really done a May Mission Month series before so Exciting times. Focusing on that, and then uh, and then June, uh, one I'm really excited for is Jeremiah. Mm. Been playing this for twelve months. <laughs> it was about, about, about June. It's about June 2022. I was like, ah, oh, about this time next year we preach through Jeremiah. Love it. One of my favorite prophets. Probably the yeah. most raw and vulnerable mm. of the prophets. You get a great insight into his mindset. Mm. Yeah, talk about steadfast. That dude was steadfast. Mm. Thrown into wells, taken to cap taken to captivity against his will just suffered enormously mm. for his yeah prophetic call mm. and, uh, and I think too we see him wavering which I really love that's what I love is that he really struggles it's real it's not, it's not just like oh yeah this I'm fine well yay praise God it's like he's just like wrestling mm. and I think that's really cool for us to encounter that and see mm. that life that's what's cool about the Hebrew Bible is we get real characters who yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get angry with God. Three dimensional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're Love not it. just like, um, yeah, just you know, always got a smile on my dial. Yeah, <laughs> they're real raw people. Yeah, and that's what's so. Uh, yeah, that's what's going to come up in the next couple of months. So good. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, enjoy. Uh, yeah, your little paternity leave yes. when. Uh, yeah, I any day calls. now. Uh, any day now, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys. Uh, good Friday and mm. Easter Sunday. Catch Ooh, you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.